Welcome, welcome, brothers and sisters. We're glad you're here at Logos, those on Facebook and YouTube and online. We want to welcome all of you as we are continuing our spiritual safari, if you will, our voyage and journey through the book of Joshua. So many powerful life lessons, incredible teachings that we find here in this magnificent book. We left off last week in Joshua chapter 4. We want to uh, look into chapter 5 tonight, but we didn't finish last week, and I just want to make one more point in chapter 4 as we go into chapter 5. In chapter 4, we see God's instruction, God saying something to Joshua that is so important, that is applicable to us today. He says here in verse 21 of 2020, And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What means these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over its this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That night all the people of the earth might know, might know, all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord that is mighty that ye might fear the Lord your God, notice, forever. This is not for Joshua only. This is something that has to continue from generation to generation through our children. And so God asks Joshua to take the stones, and I want you to build an altar, a memorial, and there's a purpose for this memorial. The purpose is when your children and others are walking with you, they notice this, this memorial, this altar, they're going to ask you some questions. And they're going to say to you, well, what is the purpose of this altar? What is the purpose of these stones that are gathered together? And you're going to tell them these stones are a memorial how God allowed us to cross over the Jordan as we crossed over the Red Sea in a miraculous way, a supernatural way. You tell them that. And what I want to do as we conclude chapter 4, I want to give you some applications, some thoughts that begin with E as we look at this memorial, because this is the apex of the chapter. And so we see the significance of these memorials. And I'm going to give you a couple of E's by way of application. First reason and purpose for memorials is to encourage the present generation. So God did it in the past. He can do it again. If you remember what he told Joshua in chapter 3, he said, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you, Joshua. What I did then, I'm going to do now. And that principle has not stopped. That principle still exists today. God of Daniel, the God of Habakkuk, the God of Malachi is still the God 
of you and me today. That hasn't changed. That principle remains. And so memorials encourage the present generation that as God poured out His Spirit, as God did the miraculous, we can also experience the same thing. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am with you to the very end. Number two, memorials not only are to encourage people, but memorials are to educate the next generation. It's easy for children to forget what God has done. Very easy for children. And it's also easy for adults at times, isn't it? And so the Bible tells us when your children, when you walk by Gilgal, and your children take notice of these huge stones piled up. And you sit down with them and they ask you, what is it the Bible? What, what, tell them, well, 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 we crossed the Jordan right through to dry ground. This is the kind of God we have. You teach them, educate them on God's power. Educate them on God's mercy. Educate them on his omnipresence, on his omnipotence, on his immutability, on the fact that who he is a God who's able to do all things. You educate your children on the power of God. You encourage your children to keep trusting God. And then number three, memorials are not only to encourage and to educate, but also evidence to the whole world. Look what it says here in the last verse. That all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. And it is also a testimony of God's power throughout the whole world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, Jesus said. You notice the parallels between the Old Testament and the New. Joshua, and what God told him is what Jesus tells us. To let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your father memorials ultimately is evidence your testimony is an evidence of God's power your life is a memorial of God's power when people see you they should say oh oh what is it about you there's just something about you you're a memorial you're a testimony they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, Revelation 12.10, I believe it is. You're called the salt of the earth. Your presence ought to provoke change in people's lives. People ought to feel the effect of your presence. Something about your life that makes a difference in people's lives. You're not just an ordinary human being. You might say, what do you mean? Yes, we're supposed to be humble, we're walking brokenness, but God, who is extraordinary, who lives in you, makes you or extraordinary. For greater is he that is what? In me, in you, than he that's in this world. There's not, nothing we have that makes us extraordinary. It's the Christ in you. That makes all the difference. There should be evidence. My friends, the church can never be the salt of the earth. That's what Jesus called us. If we keep sugar-coating the truth. We must stand by the truth. Live by the truth. Don't compromise truth. 
Some Christians are trying to compromise so they can make the gospel more palatable. Make the gospel more inclusive. So let's make a few changes to make it more palatable to the world. No! The gospel is not inclusive. It is exclusive. What do I mean by that? Look, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. That's exclusive. You've got to pick up the cross and follow me. You want to be my disciple, you've got to eat in my body and drink in my blood. Exclusive. I am the way, the truth, the life. Not a way. If it was a way, then it would be inclusive. But it's the way. There's no other way. Compromise or sugarcoat the truth, my friends. And you carry the truth. You carry his presence. You and I house the presence of God. He lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to be careful how we live, how we walk. We need to be an example in this world, a light in this world. You are evidence of God's glory. Listen, my friends, if your absence doesn't bother people, if your absence doesn't really cause any, basically people are indifferent, then perhaps your presence never meant anything. <laughs> if people don't take notice of your life, whether you're in the room or not, if, whether you're working or not, what, if, if your life isn't salt, if your presence doesn't matter, then your presence never really meant much, did it? But you see, if Jesus called you the salt of the earth, what does that mean? What does salt do? It adds flavor. It doesn't take away flavor, unless you put too much of it. But it adds flavor. What else does salt do? Creates. The, your life People working with my sister Grace, and I know this is happening. Anybody who works with her after a period of time who doesn't know her, I guarantee you, eventually, they're going to say, what is it about you, Grace? See, when you're walking with Christ, your life, like salt, will create thirst in the lives of people. Now, you heard me talk about this. And someone said, well, 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 wait a minute, Pastor Dino, you can't bring a horse to water and make him drink. You ever heard that statement before? Yeah, yeah. Wrong. That's not true. You know why that's not true? You give the horse some salt and I promise you it's going to drink water. Is anybody listening to me tonight? You give salt to somebody. Listen, I don't like chips too much. I don't eat too much chips. I, 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 if I'm going to eat anything salty, it's usually it's pretzels or it's peanuts. I love peanuts, I'll be honest with you. And I, if I have you know, some peanuts and they're salty peanuts, if some don't come, but they're salty, I can assure you, my friend, after I have peanuts, I'm going to do what? I'm going to drink. Why? Because I'm thirsty. Why? Because I had some salt. Do you hear what I'm saying? And if people don't acknowledge you or your, your, your presence doesn't bother them or they don't care, then, then something's wrong.
Let me close. I've got to ask three questions to the body of Christ. I want to ask three questions to those on Facebook and YouTube tonight. Number one, what is God doing in your life that's worth making a memorial? What is God doing in your life that we need to memorialize, if you will? Is God doing something in your life that is worth memorializing something if you can't think of anything, if not, then maybe you haven't really listened to the instructions. God said, not only are you to get your feet wet, Joshua, but I want you to cross the Jordan when the waters are flooded. You got to go a little deeper. You see, brothers and sisters, if you don't go deeper, you'll never see the power of God in your life. If you don't go deeper... You'll never make a difference in people's lives. What does the Bible say in Psalm 107? The great wonders of the Lord are seen in the deep. Never in the shallows. There's not only minnows in the shallows. You got to go deep. Jesus said, cast your net, Peter, deeper into the water on the other side. Deep, the Bible says, is calling unto deep. You want to know God, you got to go deeper. You might say, oh, that's nice. But what does it mean to go deeper? There's got to be sacrifice. There's got to be a passion. There's got to be a hunger. There's no hunger. There's no passion. You'll never go deeper. So what is worth... What kind of testimony is in your life? Something worth memorializing is something... Is there something that God's doing that is... That's, that. wow, you, yes, there's, I can see something powerful in your life. Number two, number two, number two. What legacy are you leaving your children of his great works? Remember, God told Joshua that your children will ask you and that they will know. God's concerned about family. Oh, he's concerned about our children. That's why the devil's after our children. That's why drag queens are teaching our children in libraries. What in the world is going on here? Our children are under attack. Some of the worst atrocities that have ever happened in the face of the earth that just recently happened with, I, I call them ISIS. They're Hamas, but they're ISIS. Beheading little children. Burning alive little children. Can you? It's almost. I. 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 I it's uncom. My, my. My wife still hasn't been. Hasn't even recovered from when she heard that news. Children. What legacy are you leaving your children, brothers and sisters, of God's great work? I pray our children will say, yes, daddy. My dad, my mom, she stands firm on God's truth. My, ma my mom, my dad, I, I see something in them. They're, they're a great example to us. They're teaching us the word. Thanks, mom and dad, for being an example at home. and being. Someone asked a very wise man, what is success? He said... 
this wise man, success is when your children want to be with you when they are adults. <laughs> success is not about how much money you make, how many degrees you have, how famous you are. No, no, it's not about that. Look, what is it all that money, all that fame, all that prestige can do? What, all of that, what really can it do when your children, when your children don't want to be with you on the holidays? Who cares if you're famous and you got money and the world says you're successful when your children don't even want to spend time with you, sir? greatest thing the greatest thing the best thing I've ever been called my friends is dad not pastor not brother evangelist dad mom Think my children care that I stand up here and preach all day long? And what 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 would that do if I can't spend time with my kids? What does that do if I can't love my children? If I can't show Jesus at home? What good is that? I know pastors and ministers they got the greatest ministries, but their children don't even want to spend time with them. You think that's success? God said, Joshua, when the children, your children are walking with you, you tell them what this memorial means. And also, I need to ask another question, my last one. What do your neighbors know about your God through you? Remember what God said here to Joshua? He said, verse 24, that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of God is powerful. Let me ask you, what do your neighbors think of you? What do people work with you? What does the world, what do people outside of the church think of you? I've said this before, I'll say it again. If you met you, would you like you? Very simple. What would the world say about you? Now you might say, wait a minute, Pastor, that's, that's kind of a funny question because the world's supposed to hate me. That's true. If the world just loves you and they think you're the greatest, I got a problem with that. So does the Bible because we're supposed to be, you know, we love not the world. The world doesn't love us. But, but the world can still see something in you that's different. That's what I'm talking about. When I was working with my mother, I tell you, I had more enemies than you because I worked in a mall and I witnessed to everybody in that mall. That mall was big. There were a lot of stores, a lot of stores. And I was getting ready to go to Bible college, but I was just sharing the gospel with everybody in every store. Most of the day, I didn't even spend time with my mom at the store. I, and they all, they, 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 they didn't like, some of them hated me, you know. But when they got in trouble, guess what? They came to see me. Isn't that interesting? If someone is in trouble, would they come and see you just think about it God wanted those memorials to be a testimony to the world we are God's testimony 
We are God's children who live in this world for a reason. You live in this world to be a memorial unto God before your family, your children, and before those in the world that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who's in heaven. And now we go to chapter 5. On the heels of this teaching, we come to chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 9. No, we'll read from the beginning. We'll read at verse number 1, and we'll go to verse number 12 as we come into a new chapter tonight. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of the Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters from Jordan, from before the children of Israel, until we passed over, that their hearts melted. Neither was there any spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel, because of the children of Israel, because of their example, their life. My goodness. And at the time the Lord said unto Joshua, make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. The second time. And Joshua made sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel on the hill of, of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males. Even all the men of war died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by way of they came forth out of Egypt, they had not been circumcised. So just stop there for a minute, Josh. We're going to look at... And so the, fa the fathers died in the wilderness. Remember, only two survived, correct? Only two made it. But you see, they had children while they were in the wilderness. Forty years is a long time. You can have children in 40 years. But they were not circumcised. And so now as they entered into the promise. The waters are flooded. Oh, there, you see? The Lord answers prayer. having fun. All right. So they needed to be circumcised. Now when the Bible says two men, that's talking two men, but there were people who were born who were not circumcised, children who became at a certain age and now they needed to be circumcised. Let's continue. Verse number uh, six. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people of the men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. 
whom the Lord swear that he should not show them the land which the Lord swear unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. And the children whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised. See, people don't realize that. They think it was just two physical men. It's impossible. There were children accompanying them. How many knew that? Well, I know Tony does. Tony, he's, he's, a Bible, he's a quiet Bible scholar, Tony. Very quiet, but he knows a lot over there. And the children whom they raised up, and it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. So until they recovered from their, their surgery. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from, you, all, from off you, Wherefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did not eat of the old corn of the land of the morrow after the Passover unleavened cakes and the parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land, neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Cana. Wow, certainly God is doing something new, something fresh. My premise, as we begin chapter 5, let me just say to you that before Israel entered into the promised land, stay with me, into this new land, there needed to be a crossing over from the old to the new. And my premise this evening is this. You can't walk through a new door with an old attitude. Oh, I got to say that again. You can't walk through a new door with an old attitude. When you're in transition, there's a change. Something's changing. Something new is taking place. And Jesus said you can't put new wineskins on old wineskins. So I want to share some principles that I see here in Joshua chapter 5 that begin with T. And as we've mentioned many times, this was a time of transition for Israel. It was a new day, a new time, a new era. There's a new leadership. There's new experiences. That's what transition is. See, God is doing a new thing. I believe God's doing a new thing today. But the point is God wanted to take them into another level of maturity and another level of growth. That's always God's goal, brothers and sisters. It's always God's goal to bring you into another level of maturity. We never arrive when it comes to the things of God. Yeah, we might graduate from elementary school. You know, we go into college, into university spiritually. But we never graduate from the school the schoolroom of God you, 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 you never graduate from his classes and courses you graduate but you never reach a time where you graduate and you leave the school you just go into another class because nobody has ever arrived we are, we are continually growing continually maturing that's why Paul says, being transformed from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are 
growing from strength to strength. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 tells us that we need to graduate from the elementary teachings of the word of God into something deeper. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Means maturity. Not No one's perfect. Into maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of the faith towards God. So Paul is saying, we need to keep moving on. We need to keep growing. We need to keep... And, and Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, he that's begun a good work, verse number 6, he that's begun a good work shall complete it. So we are in process. We are constantly in process. God's preparing us for the task that's ahead. And whatever that task might be, whatever the ministry might be. And so this was an exciting time of blessing. They're about to do something crucial. And all their destiny would change. A crossing a crossing over from the wilderness into the promised land. Now, brothers and sisters, you can be sure, whenever there is a crossing over, there are going to be obstacles. Whenever you are in transition and you're going into a higher place, you can be sure there will be obstacles, spiritual impediments. There's always a price to pay for progress. The devil wants to destroy you, wants to keep you from growing, wants to keep you from experiencing God's power. As somebody said, when there's another level, you can be sure there'll be another devil. <laughs> That's true. We're fighting not against flesh and blood. The enemy wants to kill you, to destroy you. He wants to stop you from growing, wants to stop you from getting to your destiny. But Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be fed. Right? They shall be, their thirst will be quenched. Blessed are those. You see, the devil is after your hunger to stop you from growing, from stopping you from reaching your potential in Christ. And there's going to be obstacles when there's transition. So the first thing we need to understand number one, transition. God's doing a new thing. And you need to anticipate in transition that there's going to be some kind of obstacles. Which leads to my next point. Number two, there'll be a test. Trials. See, now there were certain things God needed to do before they entered into the promised land. We just read. One was circumcision. The other was celebrating the Passover. But here it's circumcision. They needed to be prepared they need, before they participated. And how many times have you heard me say, preparation before participation. You see, the problem is we like to participate, but we're not prepared. We want to get to it right away. God's in the process of training, developing you, maturing you, and it takes time. You don't mature overnight. There's a training process. Paul said to train yourself unto godliness, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. To train yourself. We're in, a, we're in the process. We want the product. God's concerned about the process. How did God train David to be king? Anybody remember how God trained David to be king? Yes, taking care of sheep. And so what happened to the sheep, Gloria? 
Yeah. Bible says David protected them from what? The lions and the bears. And you see, God was training David with the lions and the bears because one day he was going to fight who? Goliath. God doesn't send you out to fight Goliath overnight. There's a training. You deal with the lions, you deal with the bears. And then one day that giant that's in front of you called Goliath comes against you. But as you've heard me said, listen, listen, that giant that's before you, don't worry about that giant. That giant that's not, that giant's not greater than the God that's inside of you. Don't worry about the Goliath. But if God sends Goliath, you can be sure that you're going to be prepared for that. Or if God allows Goliath to come against you. There's always a training, a testing, and you're being trained, you're being tested. Now, if you remember, in Genesis 22, Abraham was severely tested, verse 1 of chapter 22. He was proving Abraham's loyalty. He wanted him to sacrifice his son, and he wanted to see how Abraham would respond to God's directive to sacrifice his son because Abraham loved his son. He waited 25 years for the son and now God asks him to sacrifice him. Question, how are you going to respond to that? Abraham, are you going to do it in obedience even though it doesn't make sense and it's just deplorable to you? It's, it's unconscionable? Are you going to still obey God? How will you respond? How you, will you... You see, there was a reason. His devotion was at stake. His loyalty was at stake. God, let me tell you something, friend. God will have no rivals. And God is looking for us to love Him with all our hearts, our mind, our soul. That's the greatest commandment. And the problem is that there might be rivals. There might be idols. Do you know that our children could be idols to us? That rival God's love? Objects can be rivals, idols, things we like to do. Food can be an idol. I heard one person snicker here. I, I don't know why she's snickering, but uh, I think I'm close to having Spanakopita as my idol. But... <laughs> but we need to be careful. And God was testing Abraham's loyalty. See, God was testing him, but it was not to destroy him. It was to refine him. You see, when the devil tempts us, tests, he, he wants to kill us. The devil is an arsonist. He wants to burn you alive. He wants to kill you. But God is a refiner. He tests us to refine us, to purify us, to strengthen us, to make us better. When the devil comes along and he wants to, to come and tempt you, and to, he wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to remove your testimony. See, God didn't test Lot. He tested Abraham. And we see the reason, because in Hebrews chapter 12, we'll look at verse number 7, look what it says, Hebrews 12, verse number 7, if we have that, it says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the father chastens not? 
But if ye be without chastening, where of all, all partakers, then you are bastards or illegitimate sons. You don't have a father. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. And we have the reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? So what is, what is the Bible saying? God is chastening us because He loves us. A good father will also chasten his child because He loves him. And if you're not being chastened by God when we do wrong, then you're not His child. You see, you understand the connection here. Because you are His child, you will be tested. Because you are His child, you will be chastened. Why will you be chastened? Because all of us in our humanity go astray. All of us need to grow. All of us need to develop. God's working in us. Chastening us because He wants to refine us. You see, tests only prove that you are important to God. Tests only prove that you are important to God. And you can be sure, my friends, a faith that's not tested can never be trusted. I won't. Hey. Let's say uh, you decide to take a trip and you need to go and you need to take a plane. And so there you are. You're, maybe you're going to Europe or to the Caribbean. And you're getting on the plane and you find out that that pilot never, ever flew a plane before. How would you feel? Let me get off that plane as quick as you... You see, you see a pilot needs to be... See, if your faith is not tested, you cannot be trusted. And God puts us through tests to develop us, to mature us, to strengthen you and me in what He's called us to do. You see, God is more concerned about our spiritual growth than elevating us or alleviating us. Removing from us pain and discomfort. We pray all the time, Lord, take this away from me. I'm suffering it. And, and I understand that in our humanity, we pray like that. Lord, remove this from me. Take this away from me. I can't take it. I can't bear it. And I understand that we all do that to a degree. But we need to understand that sometimes we have to go through that pit. Sometimes we have to go through that cave and the, and the fires and the waters. Because if we don't go through it, we won't learn what we need to learn. We won't grow the way God wants us to grow. It's impossible to grow without tests. It's impossible to grow without trials. We want a quick breakthrough. We don't want to endure the suffering. We want to get it over with. And I understand that. I understand that because all of us in some way say the same thing at times. But friends, there's reasons why you end up going through what you're going through. And some of you might be going through what you're going through for a long time now. But there's a reason. And we want out. We want to get out of there as quickly as possible. But listen to me, friends. God has His timing. There are no elevators to spiritual growth. No, there's not. You just can't go and punch the gun. Seventh floor, please. No. It takes a long time to get to the seventh floor. You know why? Because everybody's got to take the stairs when it comes to the things of God. Every 
one takes the stairs on the way up. Everyone takes the stairs when it comes to spiritual growth. When Paul said, set your affections on things above, and you're growing and you're developing, you're taking the stairs. There's no such thing as elevators. There's no drive-through breakthroughs. I've talked about this many times. You go to McDonald's today, you go through the drive-through, you get your Big Mac and you're gone. Drive-through. Drive-through McDonald's, drive-through Tim Hortons, drive-through Burger. They're all drive-throughs, quick access. Get in, get out, get your food and move out. Uh, but God doesn't have drive-throughs. There's no instant quick fix when it comes to the things of God. McDonald's mindset doesn't exist with God, these quick, you know, blessings, and, you know, uh, blessings and quick services, and quick sermons, quick prayer meetings, and quick Bible studies, and just quick drive-throughs, get through it, and move on. And so we try to microwave everything, even spiritually. Quick, 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 but God doesn't own a microwave. He owns an oven, and most of the time we're in that oven, and it's usually on slow bake. Okay? It takes time. There's a process. Nobody becomes spiritual overnight. God works slowly. He marinates slowly. They that wait upon the Lord shall we. They'll wait. Keep waiting before the Lord. And so the point is all these tests and all these trials have purpose. All things work together for good. For those that love God and called for His purposes that Christ be conformed in you. Verse number 29. All things. The things we go through. So, so, the Bible speaks of a transition period. New thing is about to take place. God says there's going to be a testing. God's preparing them, proving them. Then number three, there's a trimming process. Trimming. Look what it says in verse number two in our text. Verse number two of Joshua number five, chapter five. It says here, at that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Oh, there's a trimming going on. My goodness. In Joshua chapter 3 verse 5 it says to sanctify yourself for, for tomorrow. You will see my glory. Sanctify. Notice here, there were certain knives. Sharp knives. These were flint knives. Metal knives. Flint knives are effective surgical tools. These were not knives you'd find in your drawer in the kitchen. These were specific surgical tools to cut sharply. God wants to trim back the things we don't need. And so as Joshua was instructed to circumcise the, these men, these boys rather, with a sharp surgical flint. 
That's physical, but there's a spiritual meaning to that. There's a spiritual meaning. God wants to trim some of the excess foreskin, if I can use that term, in our lives that is not needed. To trim back the things we don't need. Doesn't the Bible say in Hebrews chapter 12 that we're in a race? And let aside every weight that so easily besets us. Get rid of some of this excess baggage. Doesn't the Bible say that? Well, God's saying the same thing here. You can't run away a race with excess baggage. God says, I need to do some trimming. Things you don't need. You see, there are things that are not essential, my friends, that can hurt us. I repeat. There are things that are not essential in our lives. We may not even see it that we don't need. See, there are time, things and times that things that, that, that carry infection and carry disease. And there needs to be a circumcision. Think about that for a moment. God always uses the physical to explain the spiritual. Jesus did that all the time. This was a physical circumcision. That's why they needed to recover. The boys needed to recover. A circumcision, let me tell you, you know, uh, that, that's very painful for, for a boy. And it needs time to recover. But that physical element speaks of a spiritual truth. There are a lot of people in this world that need, who are in the church, that need a circumcision they're holding on to things that they don't need. They're doing things that are hindering their race. And God is saying, before I can take you further, I need to trim off some of this excess. These weights. These impediments. That are hindering your walk with God. That's blemishing your testimony. We're at a wedding the other day and there were two people that claimed to be strong believers. And, you know, I, I'm there and I'm listening to their conversation and, and I knew they were getting ready to do all kinds of craziness on the dance floor. And I'm saying to myself, if I didn't know or hear that they were Believers, I, there's no way I would be able to see it by their actions. Listen, friends. That's the problem today. That's why you might talk to some people in the world and they'll tell you, oh, why would I want to be a Christian? I don't see any difference between the people I know that go to the discos and some of the people that are in the church. Do you know how many times I've heard that? We need a circumcision. Things we hold on to. Things we do. That's blemishing our testimony with God. 
But the point is you can't enter into the promised land, God is saying, and engage in warfare and possess the land if there is no circumcision. Listen, without holiness, what does the Bible say? No man shall see. Well, do we hear much of that today? No, we don't. Can I ask you rhetorical? When was the last time you heard a message strictly on holiness? Don't, we, don't have to raise your hand. You won't hear them, especially if you're watching TV to some of these preachers. They won't preach on holiness. They don't want to offend people and they want to keep having the people come to church because he wants to make sure that they feel good. And I don't want to make them feel good if I talk on holiness and tell them you can't live a certain way. do it you can't walk in the flesh and expect to be blessed in the spirit my God think about that for a moment that's why David said search me O Lord and see if there be what any wicked search me Lord Lord I I, I'm just, I'm a sinner. I, I need your grace, Lord. I know I'm king. I know your hand's upon me. But search me, Lord. Lord, break me. I want to make sure I'm a testimony. I want to do my best to, to serve you. Search me if there's any, if there's anything, any impediments. Lord, if, there, if I need a circumcision, just search me. Show me, show me, Lord. Show me, show me. So God is saying you need to be circumcised the second time. He's serious about that. He's looking for commitment, brothers and sisters. He's looking for his children who will serve him and love him. It's not based on a part-time commitment. We're not dating Jesus. Part-time Christians can never fight full-time devils. They have to fight the demons and the giants of the land. You can't fight the giants in the land in the energy of the flesh. Are you kidding me? Can't fight. The enemy on a part-time basis. And you can't be a part-time Christian. Because God's a full-time God. Someone said, if you marry yourself to the spirit of the age, you will find yourself a widow in the next. How true is that? Love not the world and the things of this world, the Bible says. How many people are saved? Okay, you might be, but you're still enslaved to something. You need another circumcision. The second, there's still something in your life that God needs to deal with. You're saved. I'm not saying you're not saved. There are Christians who are true believers, but they're, 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 they're dealing with something. You're growing. You're maturing. And in that maturing level, you need to deal with some issues in your life. You need a circumcision. Faithlessness, unforgiveness, bitterness, jealousy, murmuring. You need a circumcision if you're practicing these things. Saved, but still enslaved with unforgiveness. Saved, but still enslaved with bitterness. Saved, but still enslaved with anger. 
acts of the flesh. Now I need to pause for a moment because God will put up with certain things for a while. Yes, He will. But what God is saying is that before I bring you into the promised land, this new level, I need to deal with you. You've got to go deeper. If you want to go deeper with me, then you need to be responsible. Take an account. This is as far as I can go. It's time now to grow up. It's time for me to mature. I can't keep drinking milk. Like Paul said, he called them brethren. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, My brethren, I, I, I want to I give you meat. I want to teach you some deep things, but I can't because you're still drinking milk. A baby, listen, I've got five grandkids who are babies. You know, uh, I, can, I just can't give a piece of steak to Noah, who's my youngest. Or so, I can't, you can't give meat to someone who's drinking milk in the spirit either. They're going to choke on it. But there's Christians. Paul called them my brethren. My problem is not being... Look, all of us start as a baby. We need milk. My problem is when you get to be an adolescence and you get to be an adult and you're still drinking milk. That's my problem. That's my problem. I see quite a bit of that. God wants us to mature. God is saying, I'm waiting for you to grow up to mature. Yeah, yeah. So you can enter into a new vesture of opportunity and blessings. The manna had ceased. It's time to grow up. I'm doing something new. But you need to mature. You know, when I was a boy, well, I was not a boy. I was, a, I was a, an adult. I was, uh, forget how old I was. I was my early, early 20s. And my father retired at uh, 65, I believe it was. And uh, he was working as an accountant for Canada Steepship Lines. And uh, they gave him a beautiful gold, uh, like a Rolex watch, two-door, or it's a part of the Rolex company watch. And uh, he kept it. Actually, he retired before my 20s. Excuse me. He retired when I was, oh my goodness, I'm getting confused. I was in my teens. Sorry. I was in my teens. And he kept the watch for a period of time. And then when I graduated from Bible college, when I was 24 years old, he gave me this watch as a present. He didn't give it to me till later. He got the watch when I was a teenager, but he gave me the watch when I became a man. And, I, and, I, and he said to me, Dino, I had this watch when you were younger, but I didn't give it to you now because you weren't ready. You weren't mature enough to have this watch. Sometimes we don't experience, we don't receive things because we're not ready. We're still in that process. God's developing us. We might get upset, we don't understand why, but God knows the timing. He knows the timing. The point is, my friend, God is concerned about our maturity. That's His 
whole objective. He wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to stay on that level, drinking milk, sucking on our spiritual pacifiers like babies, or, or depending on other people and, and be codependent on people, never really going to God on, uh, on our spiritual wheelchairs, you know, and spiritual canes that we hold on to and walk with. Instead of turning to God, we become codependent on things and on people, and we never grow to the place we need to be. Why do you think some people keep going around the mulberry bush spiritually, Mount Sinai, over and over again? They don't seem to get to a direction. They're going around in circles. They're just going around in circles. Forty years, they're going around in circles like Israel. Why? Because they're murmuring. They're complaining. They're still living in the flesh. They haven't received a circumcision. Remember, before there's participation, there must be preparation. They weren't really. They were in rebellion. God wants to see change. He wants to see us grow. You see, some think that victory comes by conquering the mountain, by rebuking, just rebuke that devil, rebuke that mountain. But no, friends, victory comes, listen to me, when the mountain conquers you. You die to this world. You pick up the cross and follow him. When the mountain dies in you and that spirit, that pride and the arrogance dies in you, the things that are hindering dies in you. No, no, victory comes when the mountain conquers you. Surrender yourself to God, surrender, allow his circumcision to go deep into your heart because you will never change what you tolerate. If you're tolerating things, you won't change. If you're indifferent, you won't change. If you just have a routine spiritually, okay, I'm going to wake up at this, I'm going to go to church and then I'm going to come home and eat and just go through that routine. It's nice to be in church, but going to church can be just a routine. There needs to be something more. Something deeper. And sometimes we just tolerate things. And we don't have conviction. And if we don't have conviction, there won't be any change. You see, discontentment, discontentment is the first necessity for change. If I'm not willing to change is because maybe I'm just tolerating or I don't feel the need. But if I'm disc if I have this holy anger, if you will, that I, things aren't right, I search me, Lord. I my life is I, there's things I need to change, Lord. That I, I, I there's something wrong, Lord. I need a circumstance. See, if you don't acknowledge that, and if you're not if you're not dissatisfied with your life, there are people that are just happy, they're, well, yeah, I know God, I'm going to heaven, that's all that matters. Let me tell you some friends, that's not all that matters. There's a lot more to serving Christ than just going to heaven. What about why you live here on earth? What do you think you're supposed to do while you're here? Just wait in the corner until Jesus comes again? You've got a purpose and destiny. There's things that God's called you to do, but you'll never enter into that place, participation, unless there's preparation. 
And if you're just going to tolerate mediocrity, tolerate the status quo, then you'll never get to that place. You'll always be compromising. Why do you think Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Woe unto him that is full. What does that mean? Woe unto him that is full. What does that mean? Be careful. Woe to those who are full. There's no hunger. You're, there's no passion. You're full. Do you know when the Jews pray before they eat? Do you know what, what the Jews do when they pray for their meals? Anybody know? The Jew, when do we pray when we eat? Before. Right? Do you know what the Jews do? They pray after. When they're full. And they say, thank you Lord for this great meal. Thank you Lord for feeding me, for your provision. You see, when you're full, usually there's, I'm full, okay, just leave me alone now, I'm full, I'm happy, I don't need any, you know, I'm full. I don't need to pray, I'm full. I'm okay, I've arrived, I'm full, I'm content. But woe unto them who are full. You see, if you're full and you're content, then there's no hunger to keep going. No passion to persevere. So the Jews pray after they eat, the Orthodox Jews, because it's now that they're full, they're saying, God, I'm full, but I still want to praise you. I'm full, and I'm still giving you praise. I'm full, and I want to acknowledge your greatness. Discontentment is the first necessity for change. Don't ever forget that, brothers and sisters. You see, there are certain things that keep us in the wilderness. And that's why Paul said to examine yourselves and prove. Look within yourself. Stop trying to hide. Stop trying to run away. I know people are trying to run away from their sin. I know people don't want to acknowledge their sin. I know people don't want to face their sin. I know people that don't, don't want to face their need of a circumcision. So they run. So they hide. So they won't face that important time where they need a trimming. Where God needs to do some spiritual operation. And they don't want to deal with it. So they want to run away, hide. They don't want to take responsibility. They don't want to face it. And so they'll do all kinds of things. They might blame others. Oh, you know, it's his fault. So they won't take responsibility. Anything we run away from has power over us. If you're running away, it's got power over you. Anything we go through, we have conquered by His grace. Examine. Take responsibility. My God, is there something in me that needs trimming? My God, I, I know I'm in process and I know you want to bring me into another level. And is, is there some hindrance in my life that keeps me taking laps around Mount Sinai? 
Lord, it's been the same over 20 years. Is there something, is there something lacking? Is there a trimming that needs to take place that I'm running away from that I don't want to take responsibility and that I'm blaming others for? You see, friends, if you can't change your problem, then you need to change your perspective. Show me, Lord. I need to be flexible. I can't blame others. I got to search me. If you're asking God to search you, then you need to be flexible. If you're asking God to search you, then you need to be open for instruction. Be willing to allow God to trim you and stop making excuses for your circumstances. But pastor, you don't really understand what I'm going through. Look, I may not understand what you're going through, but that doesn't justify your unwillingness to press on spiritually. That's the problem. We make too many excuses blaming others or blaming circumstances for our spiritual lethargy. How many remember? I, 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 this story keeps coming up, but I, I will say it. I'll say it again and again. A father was a drunk. True story. A drunk. Beat his kids. His wife died or left him. I'm not sure exactly what it was. Raised up these boys. They were. They lived on eggshells. Well, the boys grew up. Became adults. One ended up becoming a drunk like his father. The other one ended up becoming a successful businessman. Later on. People that knew them that were in the town, that they lived in a rural community, were so moved by this, they actually went to see the brothers and asked them why they ended up the way they did. So one, it was like part of the, it was, it was an official of, of, of that community. And he came up to me and he said, we'll call him Tom. Hey, Tom, so talk to me, what happened to you? Why did you end up the way you ended up? He says, I ended up as a drunk because... Of my father. All I saw my father would do was beat me. He drank and he did this and he did that. And it affected me and I just, I, I just, I couldn't get over it. And I, I just inevitably ended up being like my dad. The other boy, we'll call him Tim. Say, Tim, what about you? What happened to you? There seems to be a little bit of a difference. He says, yes, yes, yes. He says, well, you know that my father was a drunk. And I said to myself, I am never going to be like my father. And I made a decision to take responsibility and do the very opposite. One son decided to be like his father. The other son decided to be unlike his father. One blamed his father. The other one didn't blame his father, actually used his father as a springboard for change. You see, friends, never blame. Take responsibility. Remember, you don't have to be the way your parents were. You don't have to be as bad. You don't have to. You, you can take a stand and do the very opposite. It's a matter of choice. We all have choices to make. You don't need to succumb to your environment. You don't need to succumb to the status quo. Take responsibility. Stop blaming. 
going to share one more thought. I'm going to stop and I'm going to finish chapter 5 next week. We have the transition. We have the test. We have the trimming. And number 4, we've got the trip. Notice verse number 4 of chapter 5. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. There was a trip. There was a trip. They had to come out of Egypt and they traveled through the wilderness. When they came out of Egypt, they were circumcised physically. That's what we hear. But they had no fruit. They thought since this was an external government, uh, covenant that's, that somehow, that this made them right with God despite how they lived. Like the Pharisees. Do you remember what the Pharisees said to Jesus? We don't need to be born again. I'll paraphrase John chapter 8. Our father is Abraham. We don't need salvation. We're already saved. What did Jesus say? Your father isn't Abraham. Your father's the devil. <laughs> Can you imagine what they felt? John 8, 48, 44. They thought they were saved by virtue of their pedigree. Oh, let's not go too far, my friend. There's a lot of people that still feel that way. True story. A young Jewish boy who asked his rabbi, Rabbi, am I going to heaven? The rabbi said, this is not a Jewish problem, but a Gentile problem. All Jews go to heaven. We are his chosen. We have his covenant. A lot of Jews believe that. Hey, hey, let's not go far. I come from a Greek Orthodox background. My wife comes from a Catholic background. They believe if you baptize an infant, they're going right to heaven. And they'll be saved no matter what. And that baby gets older, becomes a mafioso. He's still going to heaven because he was baptized. Excuse me? Excuse me. So you're saved because you've been baptized. You see how erroneous that is? Listen, you can be baptized over... You can be baptized till you become a prune. And still not get saved. It's not the physical elements that save you. It's not your pedigree. Oh, my father's a pastor. Big deal. God, listen. You're never saved through osmosis. God does not have any grandchildren. He has only children. You must become... His child. You would be surprised. I've been pastoring a long time, friends. Believe me. Oh, pastor, but I was raised in the church. I'm okay. You're raised in the church and you're okay. You're not okay. You're not okay. Because you're raised in the church. Because you go to church doesn't mean you're saved. These were Jews. But they all were disqualified. All of them except two. All of them except two. And that was their argument. Well, we have the covenant. Yeah. Listen, friends. Because Jesus saves, that's great. But you see, unless salvation comes to visit you and you experience salvation, then it means nothing. Experience, listen, knowledge without experience means nothing. 
Look, I was in Bible college. I, I, I know some Bible college students. I tell you something. They were Bible college to, ready to be pastors. Some of them were, were more sinful than the person down on Skids Row. Listen, your degrees don't save you. Your, your church denomination doesn't save you. You must experience a personal circumcision. And it was in the trip. They thought, look, everything's fine. In verse number 6, look what it says in verse number 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord swear that he would not show them the land which the Lord swear unto their fathers that he would give us the land flowing with milk and honey. He told them, you're going to have the milk but they disobeyed God and they didn't enter in. They were disqualified. And the fathers, the males, were circumcised. Wow. That's pretty serious stuff. I... But God allowed this trip to take place so that all the doubters died in the wilderness. Did you see that? There was no fruit. There was no faith. It was all an external veneer. Part-time faith. Part-time faith is like a part-time job. It doesn't fully pay the rent. <laughs> There's no part-time faith. Oh, I, I, I go to church every so often on Sunday. And Listen, you can go to church every Sunday and still not know God. We talk about the heart. Circumcision speaks about the heart. It's a physical element that expresses a deeper issue of the heart. The heart needs to be circumcised. Friends, let me ask, does your faith in God move mountains or do mountains move your faith? They saw giants and they were all petrified. Only two who had a real authentic relationship stood against the giants. And so God waited. He waited and he lengthened the trip. There's the t term, the trip. Because of all of their faithlessness and the sin. It was like weeding out process. Why? Because you can't enter into the promised land in the flesh. You can't walk through a new door with an old attitude. You can never grow spiritually with old wineskins. Remove them! Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul says. Every growth, there's a change. Every growth, there's some kind of sacrifice. Every growth, there's something that needs to take place. There's some kind of trimming. There's some kind of circumcision. That's why people are the same after 20, 30 years. They haven't experienced a circumcision. 
Imagine only two out of two million entered in. God has standards. You know, we don't hear much of that today. God has standards. He has standards. Without holiness, no man shall see God. Without holiness, no man shall see God. And I'm concerned about this today. I'm concerned about this in the church and the teaching we hear today. Look, if you can't affect people, then make sure they don't infect you. If you can't affect people, make sure that people don't infect you. Because in this trip, you're going to meet a lot of unbelievers and a lot of Israelites, spiritual ones, that uh, murmur and complain against Moses. And there's going to be all kinds of doubt and bitterness, all kinds of things that can distract you and dissuade you in this trip. Imagine only two stood. Only two. And we're trying to make the gospel of Jesus Christ inclusive. It's not. It's exclusive. Never try to make the gospel appetizing to the world. Because if you do that, you're going to compromise the principles. I went to a couple of churches while I was on vacation. I couldn't believe some of them. But I can tell you one thing. There were some good churches. I'm not going to put everything in one box. But, but they're trying to reach the world. And they're trying to compromise. And they're trying to preach a gospel that's diluted. So they won't offend anyone. And so let me talk about only the good things about God. Because I don't want to affect you. And I don't want to uh, uh, offend you. So let me just talk to you about how much God loves you. And how he cares for you. And all of that is true. But let me tell you something friends. If I go see a doctor. And I go for a checkup. And after my checkup. It's okay let me see now. Your, your lungs are good. Your heart good. You got good eyesight. You got good reflexes. No problems with your hearing. Your eyesight's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're looking good. You, you, you still got hair on your head. Not bad. Everything's looking good. Your bones are strong. Fantastic, but you have cancer. <clears throat> See, some churches, they just tell you how great your heart is and how wonderful your skin is and how beautiful and how God loves and how gracious you're. But they don't want to deal with your cancer. But I'll tell you something. It's the cancer that's going to kill me. If I got cancer, I want to know I've got cancer. And we need to be in a church where truth is preached. We can't sugarcoat the truth. Just so we can be accepted. Just so we can be received by people. And so our churches can be grown and we can have the biggest churches. So let's preach something that people want to hear. Only two entered in because they disobeyed God. I'd rather go to a place where I'm hearing both sides of the coin in God's truth because at least I can make a proper assessment of what I need to do and not go around with this false 
sense of security. There are people in certain churches, they have a false sense of security because they're being told, you're fantastic, you're okay, God loves you, just keep doing what you're doing. He accepts you the way you are. Yeah, originally he does, but he doesn't accept you to continue the way you are. They won't tell you that. I'm going to face God one day. And you're going to face God. I'm a pastor. And Pastor Dino. Did you preach the truth to my people? Did you candy coat the gospel just so you can be popular? Did you candy coat the truth so that you, the church would grow and people would be excited and get, get, what, get, get all goosey bumpy and all excited about how good... Did you, did you tell them about the consequences of sin? Did you tell them that I'm a just God and I love them but, and I have mercy but, but I'm also a just God? That's why I sent my son to die on a cross for the sins of the world. Have you told them that? Amen. We're going to stop right there. <laughs> I got a few more points to go. But brothers and sisters, I am very serious about what I just said now. Because you know, we don't have much time left. Time is very short. Look what's going on in the world. It's getting worse and worse. The barbarity, the depravity, it's almost... I, 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 my words, I, there's no words. And it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. The hearts of men are going to get colder and colder. And we need to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And my daily devotions that I preach every day, I'm getting to the, the two major prophecies. You don't want to miss that. We're going to be talking about the two great events that are about to take place that I believe is going to happen and I've preached this for years, but I am convinced in my heart it's going to happen very, 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 very soon. I believe the Antichrist is born today. I believe he's alive today. That's just my opinion. Don't send me letters and Dino's prophecy. No, no, no. I just believe he's alive. That's how close I believe the coming of the Lord is. Because remember, when Jesus comes again, that's when the Antichrist will set his rule and his kingdom. I'll be talking about that in my daily devotions. We love you, and that's why we try to do what we do. I know some people don't like it, but that's okay. I'd rather tell you the truth. I'm more concerned about that than you liking me or, oh, that's a nice guy. And that's nice, but that's not what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the truth and you living the truth and getting you to heaven because that's my job. My responsibility is to prepare you for heaven. <laughs> Get the bride ready. Imagine, imagine if you got married, ladies. 
You know, men, I'll speak to the men. You're, you're, you're the groom. Can you imagine? There's a, you're, you're getting married. You're all excited. And, and you know, the, brood, the, the bride uh, mates come and your best man's all there ready. And you're waiting for the bride. And I just did a wedding on the weekend. And, and here's the bride. She's coming down. And you're looking at your bride. And you, you can't believe what you see. Your bride, her hair is all disheveled. She's walking down the aisle with a black eye. Her dress is ripped. She's got stains all over the place. How would you feel? How does Jesus feel about his bride today? My God. Let us stand together.